0: Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now Certified Productive Environment Specialist and ADHD Productivity Coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hey everyone, Katherine Avery of productivitybydesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I have a most unusual guest today. Who has absolutely nothing to do with productivity or offices or anything else. He's just this amazing guy. Don Rodell, comic, poet, and storyteller from Wyoming, who did what any middle-aged man does when he starts to fall apart. He started talking to God on Facebook, became obsessed with poetry, and found a way to turn his teardrops into art. And if that's your bio, you're clearly a poet because only people who are poetic possibly write a bio about teardrops into art. So I'm so incredibly super psyched for you to be here, John. I found you through Patty Lennon and she shared one of your poems and I was addicted.
1: Fangirl, fangirl. (laughs) Really, I'm the one who's honored to be here. I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous. Patty is amazing. She was one of the... So I had a post that went... A poem I wrote. In 2017, that I reposted again in February of 2020, right when the pandemic was starting. And it seemed like it resonated. And I wasn't posting it because of the pandemic, or I thought it really was going to be meaningful to it, but it was because I'm not, we'll find out over the next course of the next few minutes. I'm not super intelligent and I don't have this Machiavellian mind where I'm like, oh, this is going to be great in today's climate. I just reposted a, something that I wanted people to read. And it kind of went gangbusters and it connected me with Patty. And then now it connected me with you. And it's been amazing.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: You got a lot of followers from that. I think when we put something out into the world that comes from our heart, that's what resonates. And actually, I mean, you know, there's a lot of irony. Most middle-aged men don't start talking to God on Facebook when they fall apart. I mean, I'm not sure what they do. They buy
1: motorcycles. I live in Wyoming and it's cowboy culture here. And no, I live in a small town. Well, I live in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we are the biggest city in Wyoming at 50,000 people. So it's a small community. Uh, So, yeah, I definitely get some looks from folks for the process in which I've kind of used to kind of share my life with people. Uh, I didn't get the sleeve tattoo. I didn't get the new car. I'm not doing Pilates four times a day. I say I'm an accidental poet because it wasn't something I ever, I got D's in high school in English. My guidance counselor in college once informed me I was the most infuriating, low intellectual person he has ever met in his life. I never read poetry until five years ago, and now I'm completely obsessed with it, and it's kind of changed my entire life. So I'm kind of on just a journey, and every day I'm kind of learning new things about myself. Okay. Outside of yourself, favorite poet? Oh my gosh. The first poet I fell in love with was Maya Angelou. That's a cliche answer. Everyone, you know, loves Maya Angelou, but she was amazing. Like when I read, when I read her work, it just, it was, you could feel like words became alive on the page. She wasn't writing my experience with poetry in high school and college. And when I tried to read it, it felt very formal and it felt very inaccessible. And it felt like I wasn't smart enough to get it. I would have to read it like nine times in order to get what the meaning was. You'd have to drill into each thing. Maya Angelou was the first poet I read who I could just feel her heart while she was writing it, and it was like on her sleeve. And then since then, uh, Mary Oliver, and there's some contemporary poets. There is Phil Kay with Button Poetry, who I love. There is Ian Thomas from South Africa. He writes, And he was actually the first person who I read that I thought maybe I could write something like this. And he wrote something called, I hope you will find this. And it's just kind of these series of small poems in which he's just sharing parts of his life in a way that was so vulnerable. And he was almost leaving them like love notes for people to find around the world. And it was amazing. And I read those and it broke me open and I thought, okay, I'm going to start writing on my own. I felt like my heart was like a knot of Christmas lights. Like you get your Christmas lights every year, and like there's mine are always in a huge knot, and I have to untangle them every year. And that's like six years ago, that's what my heart looked like. And I thought the only way through that was to start writing. And that's kind of so those are the poets that kind of, and since then, I really have started getting into some of the older poets I'm supposed to have liked, Dylan Thomas, you know, all the classics. But I love it all. I, I just like it when people bravely share parts. And I love it when people who are amateur poets, and I'm an amateur poet, people who are not like, out there on the speaking circuit. I love it when I go to a coffee house, and there's a 18 or 19 year old girl, a boy who's getting up and opening up this folded piece of paper and their hands are shaking. And it's talking about the fight they got in with their mom that morning, or their dad or how they're failing school. There was a 65-year-old man in a poetry house who was writing about his garden. I loved it because it's just giving a small little glimpse into their life. It's just like a little people into someone's heart and their life. And I love it. And it makes me more empathetic. The more poetry I read from other people, the more empathy I feel towards people. And that's what's really been changing for me in the last five years. I just am overwhelmed with empathy because of poetry.
0: I'm going to hold that thought because I got to at least blurt out my favorite poet. So my favorite, so I'm an English lit major way back in the day when I went to Smith College a lot of years ago and was sure I was going to be an English teacher. And of course, that's not where my path took me at all, which is fine. It's huge in T.S. Eliot.
1: Oh, yeah. She's
0: pretty out there.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep.
0: And then Mary Oliver. Yep. Huge fanatic fan of Mary Oliver. I just love how she wrote. I was really sad when she died. You know, and now in the last probably two, three years, I've been following Caitlin Shetler, I think is her last name. Do you know her?
1: I've heard that name. I don't know if I'm familiar with her work, but I know that showed up on the list of people I'm supposed to read.
0: So Caitlin Shetler writes from a very female perspective about God. And it is really like pisses people off. Yep. Which is why I like her because she's just like, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and you don't like it, the door's over there. <laughs> I think that's Caitlin Shetler. I'm going to just confirm that because I'm having that moment where I don't quite remember things sometimes in my head. I call um, those every
1: moment. That is every moment for me. So
0: <laughs> Right. Yeah, this is definitely her. She's amazing. And when, I think the first one that I read of her was around Easter a year ago. And it was all about the perspective of Jesus from Mary's viewpoint. And it came in from a very much from a motherhood standpoint. And there were people who just didn't want to think of Mary that way. And I'm like, yeah, but, but Mary was a mom, you know, and she was probably a 14 year old mom, you know, deal with it. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that, no, that mean, Mary any less godly on the contrary, but it's
1: anyway, raw. It's, this I is. mean, it's an, Yeah, it's a raw expression of grief and, you know, pain and suffering and joy. I mean, and it's real. And that's where I love poets who are just real, who are just like, I'm not here to impress you. I think my impression of poetry long ago was here are people that have a thesaurus and can are trying to impress me. That doesn't work for me at all. I'm more interested in people who are vulnerable and who are talking about the real you know, the real human emotion of life and the joy and the struggle and the grief and the pain. And I get some of that too. I mean, I started having, when I started writing, it all started beginning these fake, because my background is a comic improv. I teach improv comedy. I love improv. I like being on stage and making people laugh. But in 2015, I wasn't feeling very funny. I was really struggling. And so that's when I started having fake conversations with God on Facebook and i was making god very informal and, and a lot of god, people didn't a lot of people don't like it but god but is that's okay. to
0: me god is informal i mean to me i have a personal relationship and i talk to him you know and I, sometimes it's wtf and sometimes it's you know i'm so incredibly grateful that that butterfly just flew across my path and and how spectacular it is that you know i used to be a designer so i'm really into colors And you look around nature and you want to see the most beautiful palette, you know, on it's God's green earth. It's just, to me, it's all miraculous. And what's that expression? There was a, there's an old quote, you know, you can live your life as if everything's a miracle or if if nothing's a miracle. And I'm definitely, everything is a miracle camp. (laughs) You know, I'm the person who like rolls out of bed and if there's a gorgeous sunrise, I'm running up the street to go, to go watch it. You know, I don't know how many people do that. I do.
1: (laughs) And that's what I think having an artistic eye and just keeping yourself present in the moment. And for most of my life, I haven't been present in the moment. I've been 10 minutes ahead or I've been five years behind regretting things in the past or worried about things that haven't happened yet. I was missing out on so many of these little miracles that happen around us as we speak. I mean, even just a conversation you have with someone for five minutes, and you know, I'm just thinking about okay, I gotta get on, we gotta move this conversation, I gotta get an appointment. But what about this person and this, you know, this beautiful person that's in front of me? When I started writing, I was able to slow my life down, and it's almost like I'm doing like analysis of life as it's going on instead of analysis of like the autopsy of what happened 10 years ago or predicting the future from 10 years from now. I'm in more in the moment now, and that's what poetry and writing and creativity has kind of done for me and i would be remiss i when you ask me who my favorite poets are i'm actually very much into kind of like middle eastern poetry lately like rumi and hafiz on hafiz um there's a guy named daniel ladinsky who wrote a book where he took the poetry of hafiz and he's a persian poet from the 14th century he kind of takes these really hard to read poems and he breaks them down into like modern times. And it's amazing about the sim- similar themes that people in the 14th century had that we still have today in connecting with one another once the language barrier was taken down. And so I've really fallen in love and just the idea of God, the re- you said it earlier, the relationship with God shouldn't be a formal one where we're wearing tuxedos and we're uh, you know having to fill out paperwork to speak to God it's a coffee conversation where you're sitting around a table and you're just kind of talking to a friend. And that's kind of how I try to write. I try to write as if I'm sitting with you and we're at a coffee table and you might say something that you're struggling with or something beautiful that happened in your life. And I'm trying and how I write a poem is how I would like to respond to someone in that moment.
0: Right. Right. It's, it's, it's really, to me, it's a very human connection. I mean, my feeling on God is, is, you know, he sent if you believe in Jesus Christ, which not everyone does, it sends his son, you know, to be the human connection for all of us. And so that's where I come from. I absolutely adore many other religions. And I often say that if I had been born with no religion, I probably would have chosen Judaism. So fascinating, weird, sort of strange fact about me. But I grew up Christian and and that's what I believe. And i nothing against it. I'm a huge fan of Hafiz. I really, really enjoy both Hafiz and Rumi um, and hadn't even really thought about them as on the list. But there are so many interesting poets from all over the world and and having them um, translated is, is really, I you know, another one of those little miracles. I came to the Everything is a Miracle crowd, not through poetry, but through the fact that I had cancer. And um, that was five years ago. I'm cancer-free, but it really forced me to slow down and value every moment and recognize you cannot do it all. It really became that tipping point for me to yeah. you know, realize like it's hard to run a business all by yourself if you don't have systems and people in place and like so my whole business, you know, now, it was a birth out of having had cancer and having had that experience. Much like your poetry is a birth out of an s- experience you had.
1: Right. No, it, we all have those tipping points in our life where it's a moment of crisis or in any kind of movie, a great, I love movies and stories, there's that moment where everything's going bad and you reach that bottom part. And the character, usually if it's a, pos- a movie that's not going to make me really want to go jump off a bridge, there's going to be this crossroad moment where the character yeah. does something different and they change because of things they outside of their control right. that happened to them. And, you know, from that, beauty and those little everyday miracles can start sprouting from those things as long as you don't let those terrible, traumatic things become all that you're going, you know, become your story. Learn from it and then use it to change or to do what you want to do with your life. I mean, exactly the same way. In 2002, our oldest son was diagnosed with autism. At the time, he was diagnosed with in a way that he will never be independent, he will never speak, he will be with you your whole life, He won't have a life outside of just how you care for him. And, you know, that sense that changed our entire direction of our family life. And it changed the entire direction of my life um, in that moment. And it was awful. I mean, you're uh, for a long time, I grieved for my son who was sitting right next to me. It's like grieving for the loss of someone, even though they're right here sitting on your lap. Yeah. And it's hard and it's impossible to untangle all of that at once to deal with it. And maybe as a man, I was more quiet and stoic about it, where it took me 15, about 10 years to start untangling all of those emotions and things that were stuck inside of me because of that one moment in 2002. So it's, yeah, I, I absolutely identify and agree with that. You know, there's these tipping points in our life where they kind of break you to make you.
0: Yeah. You know, all the crack is where the light gets in.
1: Right. Right.
0: So, yeah, I, I really hear you and I feel for you. And um, I hope he's doing well now.
1: Well, you know, I mean, he he is. And because there's been a series of miracles and, you know, synchronicities and people that showed up in our life at just the exact time to help us out, he is going to the University of Wyoming, kind of living independently. He's still impacted by autism. But compared to the diagnosis we were given, you know, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, you know, everything is a miracle. When he for him, like, and so it helps remind me to not take things for granted and to, and I can, I'll get into this a little bit later, but my theory, my background with with, uh, improv taught me this philosophy called yes. And where that's all improv is. It's the one rule of improv. Like you just have to say yes to whatever's happening and here's what I'm going to do about it, where if I'm on stage on improv and something, I want to be a great, I have a great cow impression. I'm going to be a cow in space. I know what I'm going to do. Great. And then the audience says, no, you're going to be George Washington. You have to let go of being the cow in space and then say, yes, I'm George Washington and just go with it. You wow. can't, you can't, you can't deny it. You can't hold on to what you wanted it to be. You've just got to jump into being the best George Washington you could be. And as a 23-year-old many years ago, 24-year-old many years ago, when our son was diagnosed with this, I had an expectation of what our family life was going to look like, what my professional life was going to look like. And then I was given, we were given a new card. It's like, no, this is what your life is going to look like. And it took me a few years to say yes to it. I fought it. I fought, I grieved instead of saying, and here's where we go with it. But that is definitely where I'm at now. I'm definitely living more of a yes and life because of that.
0: Right. I had to grieve. Um, it was kind of wild when I found out I wasn't going to be able to have any more kids and I just had the one. I remember, you know, calling my former therapist and saying, I don't know what to do with this. Like I am just I I see someone's baby and I cry and I'm this and I'm that. And he says, Well, did you ever think you're grieving the child you didn't get to have? And I'm like, Well, we're right, why right? do I have to do that? I have a healthy child, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Why don't you just grieve it? this philosophical baby you thought was going to be there. That's not here. And I did in months. I don't remember how many months it took, but it really came out the other side in a really great place because then I could be joyous for people who had other, you know, second kids or third kids or whatever. I was thrilled for them. I think if I just continued to shove down the feelings, you know, and not validate them, I don't know. I guess I'd be a basket in case now, but I mean, I'm well now, of course, now I'm 55 and the last thing I want is another baby. Like get out. No diapers, no babies, you know, very content with a teenager who can, you know, basically feed herself. Right. (laughs) Eat me out of house and home. But I mean, if you have three feral teen boys, you get that better
1: than I do. No, our grocery bill is like astronomical. Yeah, I cannot believe how much we had a major snowstorm here a couple of months, about a month ago where we had like four feet of snow. And I bought groceries the day before. It's like we we're going to have food for a month. Mm-hmm. Like, I had so much food. It was like some sort of bomb shelter in the 80s. It was gone within an hour. Eventually, kids were eating drywall, I think, by the end of the storm. So that's what the no, But I, I totally I My totally gosh. understand. You have to get through the emotion. You have to let yourself feel what you need to feel or else you'll never move on from it. And I think emotions are amazing. I love emotions, um, good or bad. I'm really focusing these days on allowing myself to feel whatever it is I need to feel. Um, whether it's sadness, um, whether it's joy, whether it's whatever, we deny these things because we want people to think we have it all together. We, people, we don't want people to see us upset. We, don't want, people, we want our Facebook feeds or our Instagram feeds to be perfect. We're our own PR people or Facebook needs to be like my Instagram picture needs to not have any wrinkles. And I need to look like I'm smiling, but not smiling too much. And my food needs to look great, but not too expensive. Like we worry over so much about how people look at us, that we deny ourselves a chance to live through our emotions. And they're amazing. These emotions, we get a feel, they're a roller coaster. But every time we feel them, it's proof that we are built of something more than just animal. We are divine. And that's my connection to the divine is through emotions. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. And the more, the more we, I mean, the grief is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Grief is the most stickiest, trickiest of emotions to navigate our way through because we often think of grief as you know, we're grieving the, over the loss of someone. But it's also grieving over the life maybe we didn't have that we thought we were going to have or grieving over we were fired or whatever it is we don't allow ourselves to let ourselves go through it. Right. And we push it down, push it down. And then it manifests itself in a lot of more negative ways, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I often think that my cancer was about some grief. Sure. No doubt. Um, and then And then working through it was fantastic. One of the things I see now, and I kind of think about, and I don't want to say I worry about, but I'm definitely concerned about is what mental health is going to look like in this country over the course of the next year or two because people are really adversely affected. This This pandemic has been hard on people. Yeah. We haven't really... I don't know that we've all done it so well. We've done the best we can. Look, I'm right. not going to criticize people, but for me, it was kind of easy because we have done it before. We knew how to circle the wagons. We knew how to take care of one another. And I immediately said, no, I live in a family of introverts, including myself. I am more introverted than extroverted. My friends will tell you that's crap. I am very social and I love people until I don't love people and I need to be alone and recover.
1: <laughs> hence, the, I, I get it.
0: hence the introvert part. But I immediately said to my husband, when this first happened, I said, listen, the state of Connecticut's allowing you to have a family pod of five people. And I said, "What if we get your sister and her husband, and we make us the pod, and that's we only see each other and nobody else?" And so every yeah. Friday night, we'd go up there for pizza. And I mean, it saved my sanity. I would have just gone, you know, nuts. The local farm uh, opened up early, and I would go up there and you know feed the chickens, whatever, just to get you know out of the house. And you know, I went back to power walking instead of working out inside, so that I would be outside. And I had created these things which I call gratitude walks. When I was um, first diagnosed with cancer, they said you need to exercise. You know, it's one of the best things you can do is to keep your weight down and keep healthy and exercise, sure. not get cancer again. Right. And I said, well, you know, that's going to kill my gratitude practice. So I wrapped my gratitude practice into my walk.
2: That's brilliant. Something that
0: yeah. really cool. It's really easy to be grateful for the world when you're walking through it. You know, right. <laughs> today I'm grateful right. because my legs are working. Today, I'm grateful because that beautiful bird went by. Whatever it was, you know, I could be grateful for it and feel blessed for it. And it was really a neat way to sort of wrap it all together and not lose something that was really important to me, but while having right. to add something that was really important to me, which was to have good health.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I think there's going to be a bill come due at the end of this pandemic where we need to all... Be kind to each other. Oh, yeah, I believe I believe kindness maybe has been the first casualty of the pandemic. And no, I think it
0: was kind of already going out the door before that.
1: <laughs> it was. It was already. It was already in trouble. And patient with one another. Uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, our legs have been asleep under our, our chairs, and now we're starting to stretch our legs, and it's going to be painful. The pins and needles. All this is going to be really, really painful for a while, and we're going to have to start talking about mental health with children. I mean, I, have, I had a senior last year and I had a freshman of college, a senior in high school last year and a freshman in college at the same time. And both of their years were kind of ruined. And they're ruined. Mm-hmm. This next year was ruined, too, just for their experience. of Like, what is my senior year going to look like? What is my freshman year in college going to look like? Those are kind of romantic, iconic things you have in your mm-hmm. mind of what those years are going to look like. And they were kind of like circus that was lit on fire. It was every day we were making up new things and figuring things out. And, and then your seniors trying to
2: get into college at a time where yeah. it's incredibly competitive.
1: It, very competitive and just weird. And he went away to West Virginia to swim. He got a swimming scholarship. And then halfway through the year, they kind of like, we don't know if we can do scholarships because there's no swim season. So he's now back with us because their swim program was kind of shut down. We're not sure he's going to go back. Thank God we have adapted the yes and philosophy to things. And we're just like, okay, this is all outside of our control. What we can control is how we're going to react to it. And our reactions are going to be not freaking out about things that we can't do anything about. And so his freshman year in college is now hanging out with mom and dad working at a part time job and you know, Hanging out with a pot of friends that have you know are, are all kind of just hanging out with each other, going fishing every day, and that's his freshman year in college. And but there's you know he's he's still struggling with that. My fresh my guy who has been in college during the entire pandemic is struggling with this is not what I thought college would be like. Right. And it's the idea where we were just talking about we have these expectations for how life is going to work for us, and then all of a sudden it's completely different. Right. And you can either let that. Completely destroy you, or you can try to say, "Okay, what can I learn from this experience, and what can I do with my own life to react to that?"
0: Right. So for us, you know, my daughter, you know, was finally at high school, so happy. It's amazing. High school's the greatest thing. She was a freshman, Mm -hmm. and you know, her initial reaction was, "Mom, I was robbed. These are my best years of my life, and I've been robbed." Right And luckily, her school she happens to go to a Catholic school, even though mm-hmm. um, the only Catholic person in my family is my husband, but the school she chose. she loves it. she's so happy. They got these kids back in school, and so they're in school with masks, they have been since August. You know, we've had a few days where we've had to be out because of you know, uh, I think I think our family's had quarantined four times. Knockwood, none of us has gotten sick. every single two of us have gotten our shots, my daughter' yeah. came, not yet. she's not old enough. But, you know, we've had to rethink what life looks like. And yep. it's just very different. And it's not good or bad. And now her feeling is she, like, doesn't care. The mask is fine. First of all, she had to get braces. So that was great. Because yep. no, her brace face, because she's wearing her mask. <laughs> she's
2: just yep. going to knock
0: that whole bad boy out with masks that come out mm-hmm. with gorgeous teeth, right? You know? Mm-hmm. So that's a bonus. But she just uh has adapted. And, you know, she's a homebody. So she doesn't mind being home. But we, we basically changed our lives to ensure that she could have a life. So she dances a couple nights a week with masks, you know, sings with school of rock a couple nights a week with masks. And, you know, my husband said, you know, she's got a lot of activities. We're driving her a lot of places. And I said, well, one, she's gone in two years and two, she can't have a social life. You know, she can't go to parties. So this is how I give her some kind of a modified, contained, safer, Definitely air quotes, um, let, you know, life, something fun for her to do that, you know, gets her out with other kids, but doesn't, you know, make me want to jump off the roof. I was just terrified when this came out. I was like, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, my husband did the grocery shopping. I went to farm. That was it. Right. I was just pure on terrified. And when she said in August, I want to go back to school, we had the remote hybrid option. I was like, you're going remote, you're going hybrid. She's like, I'm going back to school. I said, all right, well, then we're going to have to really talk about how you go back. And so, what is it? It's a shelf in the garage where she puts her stuff when she comes in. Her backpack and stuff can't come in the house. Yeah. You just can't come in the house. You know, I go out and, you know, take her clothes and bring them in a couple of days later and do the laundry. And and we make it, we've made it work. And, you know, very, very, very fortunate to say, None of us has gotten sick. We've been very lucky. I mean, I yeah.
2: don't believe it's just we just gotten lucky.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a perfect example of life handing you a big pile of flaming manure <laughs> and being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do about it instead of just staring at the pile of manure <laughs> and <being> like, <laughs> oh,
2: hoping oh, it goes away.
1: Burning pile of manure for the next 17 months. I mean, it's we're living in unprecedented times. So this harkens me back, and I just pulled it up now. It's really quick, so I'll read it quickly. I, right when the pandemic started, it was that I remember the pandemic for me didn't really start until Tom Hanks got COVID. When Tom Hanks got COVID, I'm like, wait a second, now it's happening. And I really, I so I wrote this poem that night because I remember everyone was so angry at each other right away. Like, I just remember people just say anger, like, you couldn't be afraid of it, or if people be like, why are you living in fear? And then people who are like, well, I'm going to live my, I'm going to find ways to live my life. And people are like, how can you do that? Like, no one could listen to each other and everyone was angry. So I wrote this poem that I think it kind of fits into what we're talking about. And I hope it does. And if we get to the end of it and it doesn't, you can never have me back on again. Here we go. There's no handbook for any of this. There are no hard and fast rules for times like these. You're doing the best you can, holding things together while the world falls apart. In this age of fear and fret, You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be gentle with yourself and with everybody else. Because that's the only thing you can really control, isn't it? Yes, things might unravel a bit more before this is all said and done. You might as well, too. And it's okay if you do. Because while the world is resetting its router, we can take turns deciding who gets to cry on the couch. We can take turns becoming a bomb for one another. We can take turns yelling up into the silent sky. We can take turns having insomnia. We can take turns becoming a confessional for one another. And we can take turns brushing the tears off of each other's face. Don't worry about getting this right, because you won't. Don't worry about making mistakes, because you will. You're doing the best you can. And there's only one great commandment for enduring a storm like this, and it's this. Go easy, my love. Go easy.
2: Love it. That was February yeah. 4th. I looked it up. Oh Nice. So it was February 4th. Yep. And we
0: were all still thinking it wasn't going to happen here.
1: Right. So, no, I don't think, well, maybe I wrote that a week, uh, maybe a month before Tom Hanks. Yeah, maybe it was just starting. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because Tom Hanks was until March, March 13th, I think. So, yeah, that was maybe a month before Tom Hanks. I was just starting to see. Right. And I didn't, obviously nobody knew, like everyone thought, okay, six months, two weeks to stop the spread, six months, this, no one would have foreseen that 15 months later, we're still here at the stage. We didn't realize what we were dealing with. And it's kind of my philosophy with everything is like, just be kind first. Yeah. Before winning the argument, there are some arguments worth winning. And there's some hills worth dying on. Not every single one is you know, pick those very, 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 very carefully. The idea of getting mad at someone for being, because I think I wrote this because people were mad at people for being afraid of it. Right? It's like, it's okay to be afraid of it. It's unknown. And it's okay if someone's not afraid of it. You can't shame them, Oh, you should be more terrified of it. People are going to feel and react to things the way they need to. And that kind of goes with my love of emotions. Fear is an emotion. It's not my favorite emotion, but it's one that it's very powerful and we need to talk about. It. So I think I wrote it based on that. And it, it feels kind of relevant.
2: And it's interesting because anger is fear. Yep. You know, sadness is fear. It's
0: all comes, it's really fear and love. And there's really, well, Patty right. will tell us, you know, there's only really fear and yep. love and there was nothing in between. We go back yeah. to Patty at the end here. Hi, Patty. And, <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was very afraid, but at the same time, that didn't mean I wasn't kind. And right. I remember specifically, bumping into my neighbor. It had to be right around Easter. And not literally, we were six feet apart on the street. And in her saying something about fresh vegetables and how frustrated she was, because it's kind of hard to get fresh vegetables. And I said, oh, you know, I was just at this farm, different farm. um, And uh, I picked up some things. And so I went over to what I had picked up and I took some out you know, a couple of tomatoes or whatever. I picked a bunch right. of different vegetables that were just sort of a mix and some of the fresh fruit I had. And then I remember the reason I remember it was Easter is because I had these chocolate Easter eggs and I put them in and I dropped them off. And she was just completely floored. It just blew her away that I would share. And I was like, but I had enough. Right. Why shouldn't I share? If you can't get fresh vegetables right now. Yeah, yeah maybe next, week, maybe next week I want to have orange juice, and you right. let me have some. So you know it's the old remember the old cup of sugar thing, you know has yeah. a cup yeah. of sugar to your neighbor. And, and I, by the way, that's what I think is the good that came out of this pandemic for me, is I walked so much in my neighborhood, I got to meet my neighbors. I know them by name, I know their dogs' names, I know you know where their kids are, what they're doing, and it's become a much tighter-knit neighborhood. Yeah, we had because you know before you could just jet off somewhere and who cares? Yep. yep. I hate to be like that, but that's kind of how it was. You know, it was like the world was our neighborhood. Now all of a sudden we've gone back to our neighborhoods really small. Right. It's right. simultaneously really big and really small because here we are talking, and you're in Wyoming, and I'm in Delaware. Sure. Usually normally in Connecticut, so it's just amazing to me. It blows my mind how we can have these two things simultaneously
1: for me, it comes down to empathy. What you did is you showed empathy for somebody. And that, for me, I think is the secret to how we get through all of this is we listen and we empathize with people. 99% of people all ha- are trying the best they can. that. Wow. Sure, there are some agents <laughs> who are working on the fringes to maybe not doing the best they can and trying to, you know, get us to react in ways that maybe aren't appropriate. But of us are all working, trying to take care of our families, trying to be nice, trying to, you know, figure out what it's like to be on a wobbling planet next to a burning fireball. I mean, we're all in this adventure together that we're all just supposed to exactly know what we're supposed to do when something like this happens. And we're all figuring it out together at the same time. And that's why, like, there is no rules or handbook for any of this, except for just be gentle with one another. And I think what you, that that story is a perfect example of that.
2: Right.
0: And then, and then vice versa. I mean, I had neighbors who did things for me. So many people who came to me with meals when I was going through chemo. So much love. I mean, it was just amazing and I could never repay it. And I knew yeah. it. And then you know what you have to learn. And this is really great because again, <laughs> Patty in receiving school, you have to learn how to receive that. Yeah. And that was a huge gift to me. I had always been the doer, the giver, the take yeah. care of person. Always, always, always. And suddenly everybody was taking care of me. And I had yeah. to learn how to receive that without feeling like yucky. Yeah. Or, no, I, you know, I uh, and graciously take it in.
1: I get it. I, uh, so we mentioned that post that poem of mine, how I connected with Patty and now I've connected with you. It kind of went gangbusters around the world. It's still being shared now. And so I, I grew up in a, you know, I, I grew up Catholic in a very Catholic household. My uh, parents were, Loved me very much, but they were we were very kind of they weren't very affectionate, like physically affectionate. There wasn't a lot of that. There was just a lot. My dad was a third generation pharmacist. My mom was a one room school teacher with a ruler. My bro- my older brother works for Xbox as an engineer. Is a very scientific family, right. and then there was me who constantly needed like I need a hug. Like, it wasn't really a huggy family, but so I didn't grow up with affirmation like. If you did something well, you were supposed to do something well. So good job, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> when this post started really going viral, I started getting messages from people saying, oh, I love it and how great it is. It makes me so uncomfortable when people give me mm. positive <laughs> praise and feedback that it's something I'm still working with even a year later. Like, I'm getting wonderful messages from people and things like that. And a lot of the times I can't really respond to it because it just makes me feel like I want to throw up. Um, but that's the lesson i'm learning is just to you know it's this you know if we're going to be kind to other people you have to also be kind to yourself and and let people be kind to you without worrying about what's your motivation why are you being so nice to me you know oh i don't deserve it oh i don't know it's i'm a fraud or whatever the things that come in your head whenever people are nice and kind or give you affirmations and those are the that's that's the journey i'm still on is working on that so i absolutely understand what you're saying
0: we're all on a journey. And of course, none of this is really anything to do with productivity other than right. this is supposedly a productivity podcast. But I don't care because I it's mine. So I get to choose the rules. You know, you can't be productive if you're not taking care of yourself. It's right. like you put your oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. So, um,
0: you know, that's I think that's sort of a beautiful point to kind of wrap up here. Do you have a favorite
1: productivity tool you use to make sure you get your yeah. writing done? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I do. And I've kind of mentioned it before, is the idea of yes. And uh, because you can get stuck on a problem, whatever the problem is, whether it was 18 years ago, Oh, our child has autism. And this is what I thought my family life would look like on the drive home from that doctor's appointment in Denver, Colorado. I was still stuck. We were driving in the car. We we're about a hundred miles away. I was still in Denver, Colorado, in my mind, in that doctor's office, like, oh my gosh, we're stuck in this. This is it. This is reality. This is over. My wife was already in her mind, okay, no, this is who we're gonna call. This is what we're gonna do. These are the people we're gonna connect with. These are the things we're gonna try. And she was yes ending long before I had even started improv and learned what that word, what that term means. And she was already like, okay, here's, yes, this is what's happening. And now here's where we go with it. And I've taken, and it took me a couple of years to qu- to start, yes, and s- to quit saying no, I'm denying this is happening. Right. And now it took me a couple of years. And like, she was already, we tried so many different things, uh, different therapies, crazy therapies. And I, back then I would have been like, this is out of, like, no one would ever do this like music therapy, or horseback therapy, or Reiki energy healing, or whatever it was, we tried anything that anyone could recommend. And in 2003, in Wyoming, it was kind of a desert of autism, like support and information. But we would look up anything to find any solution. And we were just desperate. So we'd, we'd yes this, okay, that didn't work. Okay, we'll try this and this and this. Right. And I've learned to take that to my professional life. The Mm -hmm. idea of there's days in which things aren't working for me or I fail and I fail all the time. I failed at this. Okay, yes. And what am I going to do next? And what happens next? Instead of just focusing on the problem, I say yes to it. And then, okay, and we'll try this. Okay, that didn't work. And we'll try this. Okay, that didn't work. And it's a very cliche thing. Like when you fail, try and try again. But that's what it is. It's saying okay, I'm not going to deny this is happening. I'm not going to deny that I wanted to be a cow in outer space and make all these people laugh or show off my really great Jimmy Carter impersonation, and now I have to be this other character. I'm saying yes to that, letting go of what I thought was going to happen, and then just ending my way through the story. And that's what our life's, life is. Uh, you you had said it earlier. You thought you'd be a, you know maybe an English teacher or you're an English lit major. And now look what you're doing now, because you said yes, and to where life took you. Right. Um, and that that's exactly I the idea five years ago that I would be talking to you about my poetry on a podcast on Zoom. I would have been t- like, what are you talking about? I, don't, I would never do that. That is so outside of anything I would ever do with my life. But it's only because I started saying yes to this pull and this urge inside of me to do it. And I say, and yes, and to it every day. And so that's, I guess, my productivity advice for someone who maybe I'm not that productive. But I would say, if you just have to just keep saying yes, and to whatever you're trying to work on, if it doesn't work right away, find another and and keep going.
2: Love it. I love it.
1: All right. You have a book? So tell us where we can find the book. uh, You can find, I have a couple books. The first book I have, which is, Hey God, hey John. I'm located on Amazon. It's kind of my little imaginary conversations with God, where it started out funny, where we talked about waffles a lot, or reality television show, or why I shouldn't wear skinny jeans, and eventually started dealing with more serious topics like my faith crisis and why uh, my my depression and how the joy and struggle of raising a child living with special needs. Ooh. And through that book there's kind of a progression and by the end of it I'm unintentionally writing poetry in God's responses to me. And eventually after that I have two other poetry books that have come from there any given someday and untied are the other two poetry books that I've had since then. So And they can find my shameless a website. Plug. That's, uh, oh yes, and I have a website I'm terrible at this. Uh I have a website, johnrodell.com. Got it. I will put all these
0: links in the copy on the show notes. I am so grateful you came on my very not poetry oriented show, but too bad because I make the rules and I'm super psyched you were here. Thank you so much, John.
1: Oh, the honor is mine. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com.